Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. So thankful for those words, Amy. I just feel so blessed getting up here. I'm also so blessed that I can speak to you all today. I wish you were in the room. But my heart knows and senses your presence out there, and I'm so delighted to share what's on my heart. It's Mother's Day, and what a privilege it is to be speaking on Mother's Day. Perhaps one would think Mother's Day is easy. The topic is a given, but I've been around for a while. And part of the human race, and I recognize the complexity of some of these holidays, it is not a Hallmark card day. Some of us are grieving that we're not with our own mothers. I feel that sadness today that I won't see my mom. Some of us have children. Some of us have empty arms. Some of us are overflowing with diapers, and some of us have overflowing diaper pails. It's tricky business. How on earth would one speak a message that would land exactly where each person needs to hear it. I thought, Jesus, only you could do that. Which led me to pray for all of you that the Spirit of God, the tenderness and compassion of Jesus, the comfort of your Heavenly Father will be with you exactly where you are today. But that left me still needing to write a message. And so as I do, Jesus, what would you speak to this congregation and all of those online this morning? Well, it's interesting. The phrase that came to me right away was about the prophet judge Deborah. Scripture calls her a mother for Israel. And once that phrase was stuck in my cry, I couldn't get it out. How on earth does one mother a nation? Scripture doesn't even tell us if she has children. We have no idea. We know she has a husband, but there's no mention of children. So what is it, God, that causes a woman to mother a nation? And do you have a word for us in that? Because I sense right now we have a nation in desperate need of the godly leadership that heaven would bring through men and women yielded to him. And so I have a message for you today. This book is full of heroes like David and Daniel and Joseph and Peter and Paul. And there's a few women scattered in there. We can go to Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's a beautiful picture of motherhood. And Hannah, who cried out to the Lord for a child. Deborah stands alone, more like the Wonder Woman of Scripture in some ways. How is it that she was a mother for a nation? Well, the ancient Hebrew language was actually kind of pictures in the same way we're used to seeing um, hieroglyphics or something like that. And the very picture that represented the word mother, the best I can pronounce it is aim, E-M. And that word means one who brings life to the tent and holds the home together. So Deborah is named one who brings life to the tent and holds the home together in such a way that it influenced a whole nation. So whether you have a home that you feel you have influence or not today, you are a person of influence. You have influence. And what is it that Deborah did that would translate into your life and my life today that would hold us together and bring life? Well, Let's start reading the story. The story is actually told twice in Scripture, in Judges 4 and in Judges 5. 
Judges 4 tells it in a narrative way. Judges 5 is a poet, poem song, and it's delightful to read. But we're going to start reading verse 1 in chapter 4. Now, do you know the book of Judges comes after the children of Israel escape from Egypt? They go into the promised land. They deal with most of the Canaanites, but some of the Canaanites are still around, and they cause the Israelites a lot of problems. From time to time, God would raise up a judge, and then the people of Israel would get rebellious again and want to do things their own way, and everything would get, go down the drain again. So that's where we're at, verse 1. It says, after Ehud's death, which was the last judge, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hogoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of the Lord, people of Israel, cried out to the Lord for help. Do you find yourself crying out to the Lord for help today? You don't need me to draw parallels here, but it might be helpful for me to point out what I am not saying. Our enemies today are not our neighbors. Our enemies today are not the government. Our enemies today, well, Take your pick, but I'm going to narrow it down for you. The biggest enemies that I think we are facing are fear and anger and pride and judgment and self-righteousness and bitterness. And did I say selfishness? These things are oppressing our souls, oppressing our families, oppressing our communities and our nation. These, this desperate need is a place for us to rise up as mothers for a nation, fathers for a nation. So as we cry out to the Lord for help in this time, what is it that Deborah did? Verse 4 says, Deborah, the wife of Labadoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. This is a massively packed verse. Here we have a woman. We know she was a wife. We don't know if she has children, but she was definitely a woman. And she has established herself in this place between Ramah and Bethel. This is a house of God, the place of God's dwelling. This is where she established herself, the high place of God, the house of God. And she showed up there. One doesn't just show up under a palm tree and all of a sudden a nation comes to you for wisdom. That just, it just doesn't work that way. But as she consistently showed up there, people were continually drawn to her to receive the wisdom she had from God because she was established in his presence. It wasn't fleshly wisdom, it wasn't earthly wisdom, or it wouldn't have set a nation free. It would have had limited impact. You see, in the next chapter, the poetic version, it says that in Israel, or yes, in Israel at this time, People were so afraid the roads were empty, the villages were empty, wars were erupting at city gates. It was not a safe country. But this woman showed up under her palm tree, and she carried words and wisdom from God. Deborah's the first prophet mentioned since Moses. There's been a couple of hundred years of history where we have no recorded mention of a prophet from the time of Moses. And Deborah shows up as a judge, bringing wisdom and strategies from heaven, but also as a prophet. And I thought this morning, how can I explain 
prophets and prophecy and New Testament prophecy all in one message while I'm also preaching this other message, and the reality is I can't. So I thought, Lord, how can I sum it up? And you may laugh, I turn to the dictionary. The dictionary often helps so much. Who knew Merriam-Webster would have a good definition for this message? It's simply that a prophet is one who, who utters divine inspirations or divine revelations, inspired revelations. You and I can do this. I'm not claiming that we elevate ourselves to a place of prophet, but what Deborah was doing was hearing wisdom and revelation from God, and she was speaking it to people in a way that was bringing order out of chaos, that was bringing peace in a place where there was no safety. So here we have this woman. The first thing we learn about mothering a nation or bringing life and holding a community together is that you show up, filled up. So what's your place of assignment? And are you established in the presence of God? Do you know his voice? Do you know what he's saying? Are you feeding yourself on other things? Are the words coming out of your mouth words that are inspired by the truth of who God is and what he says about your situation? So let's go on into verse 6. It says, One day she, Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Neptali. And she said to him, This is what God, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Nephtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I, God, will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon Valley. And there I will give you victory over him. Deborah, from her place of intimacy with God, receives a strategy for her nation. But it must be executed in partnership with someone else, someone with different skills and abilities than she has. In this case, it's Barak. Now, <laughs> I wonder how Barak felt. It clearly says in here that God is going to bring out Sisera, commander of his army, Jabin's army, with all his chariots. We already read he had 900 iron chariots. Chapter 5 tells us there wasn't a sword or a shield to be found in Israel. How would you like to be the guy picked by God? You go show up here, and I'm going to call out your enemy who's very powerful. And you got nothing. But it says, I will, the Lord will give you victory over him. There I will give you victory. Deborah, from her place of intimacy with God, sees this, calls Barak, and then calls him into this impossible situation. Here's what you need to know about this. We have a God who specializes in impossible odds. You're facing an impossible situation today? Perfect. The Spirit of God, as you tune in, showing up where he called you to be, he's going to give you wisdom and strategies from heaven, and he's going to give you people to partner with. This is critical. This is the most critical part of the story to me in many ways. Deborah calls Barak. You will see that he's the one who goes into battle, who does the physical aspect of this battle. But Barak has a response to her in verse 8. Barak says, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. 
for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. And so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. This is such an interesting passage, and I have heard it interpreted many ways. In fact, many ways that I'm incredibly uncomfortable with, but I'll kind of contain that frustration mostly for this morning. You see, when we come to Scripture, we bring a lens, we bring a filter, we bring a cultural filter, we bring experiences to us when we read the Word, and often we can read it affected by these filters. And so I'm going to share with you my interpretation Many times I've heard Barak mocked and shamed for saying he wouldn't go into battle with a woman. What does that even imply that you would read it this way? That Barak wouldn't go into battle with a woman. What are you talking about? I'm sorry. It frustrates me. I think that this conversation isn't pride. I don't think Barak is wimping out in any way. I don't think he's shamed or holding back. Barak recognizes this battle needs both of them. This is God's design. Barak is going to be the one who goes in and physically attacks and chases the enemy. But he also recognizes that he needs what Deborah carries. Deborah carries a spiritual authority that she has cultivated. And he's like, I am not going into battle without that. To me, this story is such a beautiful story of the restoration of how God meant it to be. God did not intend us to self-promote and self-protect, to push away other people with different skills and abilities, to try to go it on our own. This is actually part of the fall, that we would ever see it that way. Deborah and Barak both know the battle belongs to the Lord. Neither one of them are going to win this battle. This is a restoration of God's design. If you think back to the creation story, do you remember? Adam was alone in paradise. In paradise, everything face to face with God, perfect. And God said, it is not good. It's not good for you to be alone, Adam. And so he created Eve, who is just right for him, a counterpart. She was the same but different. We quickly apply this to marriage, which is good, but it's not limited just to marriage. Humans Together, men and women were created in the image of God. It takes all of us together, both genders, different gifts, different abilities, not one of us alone. The disruption of this better together system that God designed was fractured at the fall. And there we see accusation, turning on each other, blaming, shaming. We see brokenness in the way men and women relate to each other. In the story of Deborah and Barak, we see them setting aside a power struggle or self-promotion. We see them coming together in unity. Our culture needs this so much. We need a restoration of godly design in how we work with each other, how we relate to each other. Do you find yourself speaking disrespectfully of the other? Do you find yourself threatened by the other, like you would rather go it alone? These are signs of the strategy of the enemy against you, which then becomes against a community and against a nation. When mothering a nation or any other sphere of influence, we who desire to bring life to the tent and hold people together in unity, we need to show up 
filled up on the presence of God and in unity and community with others. This is so critical. We're going to see what happens out of this unity. Verse 14 says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. Would you look at the person next to you and say, Get ready? Get ready. In your living room where you are, look at anybody who's there, look in the mirror, tell yourself, get ready. Why? Because this is the day the Lord will give you victory. This is the day the Lord will give you victory. This is the day, Barak, you will have victory over Sisera. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. I think you should tell the person next to you, the Lord is marching ahead of you. You don't have to go into this battle timid and alone, even if you have no sword or no shield and you feel like you're up against 900 chariots. Get ready. The Lord is going before you. He's marching ahead of you. So verse 15 says, Then Barak attacked, and the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot, and he escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy all the way to Herosheth Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. How did this happen? How did this happen? They showed up in unity, in partnership, and in active obedience. They had done their homework, but on their best day, there was no way they were beating this army. It wasn't by their own strength. The power of their unity and obedience threw the enemy into panic. Do you know what? Our unity is so countercultural, it will always confuse the enemy. It's one of the most significant strategies we can bring to this struggle. It's so countercultural. In a country that's in a state of chaos and disrepair, a man and a woman who had cultivated the skills and abilities they had, cultivated friendship with God so they knew what he was calling them to. They worked together in unity, annihilating ego. And then they showed up, and the enemy didn't know what to do. But that's not the end of the story. I do wonder if there are any women listening who are like, mm, nothing in me actually wants to be like Deborah. No, thank you. Maybe you're just at home sweeping your floor and wondering, does God have any purpose for you in mothering a nation? Well, the story isn't over yet. Do you remember when Deborah said to Barak that, the Lord, that Cicero would be handed over to a woman? She wasn't talking about herself. She was prophesying about yet another woman. Pick up the story in verse 17. It says, Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin. That's the enemy king. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. And so he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he says. I'm thirsty. And so she gave him milk from a leather bag, and she covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her, and if anybody comes and asks, Is there anyone here? Say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion... Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. And she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. And there he died. Don't underestimate yourself. The enemy will underestimate you, but don't you dare underestimate yourself in the place where you have influence.
You are strategically placed by God right where you are to show up filled with his spirit. There had already been a mighty battle led by a warrior and a prophetess who was also a judge, and the commander, the kingpin, had escaped, and God delivered him into the hands of a woman at home alone, a woman that was part of a family that seemed a little bit aligned with the wrong team. And somehow she was ready for her assignment. You know, I wouldn't recommend daydreaming about impaling people with nails, tent pegs, or anything else. But here was a woman who wasn't filled with fear. She wasn't cowering in the corner. Somehow she was prepared for this moment. This is not a natural thing to do. This was incredibly courageous. She knew who she was. She was clear about the enemy. And you know what else? She was consumed with passion for freedom for her country. I don't know a woman who would naturally choose to do this. We can laugh about it, but it's not instinctive to us as women. But she saw an enemy who was wreaking havoc on her country, and she said, not on my watch. And you too have this assignment right where you are, in your sphere of influence. So a prophet, judge, a warrior, and a housewife, two women and a warrior, they showed up, filled up in community, in unity with each other, and in active obedience. And a nation was freed. A nation was freed. After this, there was peace in the land for 40 years. I know if you're listening today, you're hungry and longing for the end of fear and chaos, the end of panic and shame. You have an assignment. You have a sphere of influence. And here's a clue. It's actually right where you are. And here's something else. Until the kingdom of God is fully restored here on earth, where the effects of sin are no longer ravaging us, every single one of us are called to an increased sphere of influence. There's no sitting back on your heels. Well, today you can. Get a little spoiled. But right where you are is your sphere of influence, and God is calling you to increase that. And the increase of your sphere of influence is going to come when you show up deeply rooted in the presence of God. You know his voice. This is so much more than a moment in the morning before you start your day. This is moment by moment catching yourself and checking in again to who he is. It's not feeding yourself on gossip and negativity and fear and all the there's so much noise out there. You have got to feed yourself on who God is and what he has said to be true about him and true about you. And you show up there. And you fight for unity. Where in your life today, because we, I know we have them because we're humans, where are you experiencing power struggle with someone else? Where is bitterness rattling you and jerking you around? Where do you want to fix somebody else? This is the sort of disunity and chaos and disruption that wreaks havoc in our marriages, in our homes, our community, and our nation. This is where we have to come right now and lay aside self-protection and self-promotion. It's dangerous. It's risky. It's vulnerable. That conversation between Deborah and Barack was vulnerable. It was so vulnerable. It's risky. But it is the path forward to unity. Because none of us are fighting this battle on our own. But all of us in unity will confuse the enemy. 
And it will bring peace to our nation, peace to our homes. What action steps do you think God might be calling you to? I'd encourage you later to read Judges 5. It's the poem, it's the song of their victory. It also tells the story of those who held back in the day of battle. Some sat in indecision. Some, it says, remained in their harbors. They stayed in what they thought was a safe place. But others rushed into battle and risked their lives. What is your posture? In this song, there's a part where there's this little refrain, and it says, wake up, Deborah, wake up. So if you're sitting in a room with other people, would you turn to the women in the room and kindly but seriously say, wake up, wake up, wake up, Deborah. I'm calling you. You have an assignment to mother a nation to bring life to the tent and hold the home together. This is your assignment, but you don't do it alone. The next verse, it says, arise, Barak. And so would you turn to the men in the room and just say, arise, arise, arise. Arise and wake up. Arise and wake up. And then it has this refrain. It says, march on with courage, my soul. So say to yourself, march on with courage, my soul. We have an assignment. We have a nation waiting for freedom. Let us arise. Let us wake up. Let us bring life and unity in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.